Hey, Tracy, how long till we get to the Griffith Park Observatory? Uh, about 30 minutes, Ryan. But with this LA traffic, more like an hour. By the way, you might want to lay off the juice boxes. We've got a ways to go. You're not the boss of me. Actually, I am your boss. But it's summertime and we're not working right now. But we're driving around all summer and need things to listen to. Wait, I have an idea. Let's put out some road trip specials. Can we start with something to get me in the stargazing mood? Let me just get my phone connected here. That's it. Okay, I'll do a remix of some of my favorite space segments that we've done. Did you ever hear the segment about the ninth planet from Jacob and Olivia Rosenswag from the Curious Kid podcast? Nope, but that sounds perfect. Pop it on, Cap. I'm Ryan Willard, that's Tracy Leeds Kaplan, and this is a 10 News Road Trip Remix. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. When I was a kid, there were nine planets. They included the eight planets we know of today, plus the planet furthest from the sun named Pluto. But something strange happened 15 years ago. That's when scientists decided to demote Pluto to a dwarf planet, leaving us with only eight planets. Okay. In order to be considered a planet, three things need to be true. First, it has to orbit the sun. It takes one year for Earth to orbit the sun. Planets that are closer to the sun, like Mercury for example, are able to orbit the sun faster. Mercury is able to make its trip around the sun in only 88 days. For planets further from the sun, it takes a lot longer. In the case of Pluto, it takes 248 years to orbit the sun. That's a long time, but Pluto still qualifies because it does orbit the sun. The second thing a planet would need to do is have enough mass to be almost perfectly round, like our beautiful planet Earth. Once again, Pluto qualifies because it is round. Nice. The last thing a planet would have to do is be able to clear the neighborhood around its orbit. That means that, as planets move around, they are able to push other objects out of their way using gravity. Unfortunately for Pluto, it doesn't clear its orbit very well, and as a result, it's no longer considered a planet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have nine planets, or maybe even more. Many scientists are convinced that a ninth planet exists, even though it hasn't been discovered yet. Really? They believe that it's so far away that it would take the planet about 10,000 years to make a single trip around the sun. And they also think that the ninth planet would be really big, about five times the mass of Earth. No way! But why would scientists be convinced that there's ninth planet all the way out there, even though they haven't found it yet? That's a great question. One of the things that scientists point to when they suggest that a ninth planet must exist is that there are lots of objects far, far away that have odd clustered orbits, which suggests that there must be something like a planet that is influencing those objects to move the way they do. That's exactly how Neptune was discovered in the year 1846. Neptune was discovered by observing the planet Uranus, which before 1846 was the furthest planet from the sun. When observing the path of Uranus around the sun, 
scientists saw strange irregularities in its path around the sun, which could only be explained if there was another planet acting on it. You're kidding me! With some help from mathematicians who helped pinpoint where the mystery planet would likely be, Neptune was finally discovered. Even though there is some debate on the existence of a ninth planet, many scientists think that we are really close to discovering the first true planet to be discovered since Neptune was discovered 175 years ago. And if a ninth planet gets discovered soon, that news would truly be out of this world. Aren't Jacob and Olivia awesome? What would you want a ninth planet to be named? I gotta pee. That's a terrible name. No, Cap, you were right. Too many juice boxes. Pull over. I gotta pee, I gotta pee, I gotta pee! Ryan, you're gonna miss an interview where Bethany talks to Terry Verts, a former NASA astronaut and commander of the International Space Station. I tried to warn you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Did you did you always know like your whole life that you wanted to be an astronaut? When I was in kindergarten, the first book I ever read was one of those cardboard books with like one line per page. And it was about Apollo. So it was about the moon program. And it was uh, it was the coolest book. I can still remember it, you know, what it looked like. And I was hooked. So it's like two questions. But what do you have to study and what do you have to be really, really good at to become an astronaut? So there's different ways in NASA to be an astronaut. Now, there's also private companies taking tourists into space, uh, maybe starting this year. So for that, you just need money. (laughs) You just need to be able to pay for your (laughs) ticket. But if you want to be a NASA astronaut, you know, a real, you go and live for six months and you're doing science and research, um, you have to have a technical college degree. So something in math or science or engineering or medicine, something like that. And astronauts come from different backgrounds. I was a fighter pilot and test pilot, but there's doctors, there's engineers, there's scientists, there's people who have different careers. Most importantly is you need to have some type of what NASA calls operational experience, because when you're in space, you're not like writing equations on a blackboard, you're actually doing things. And so they want people who have done things, you know, with their hands, maybe risky things, um, and before they pick you to be an astronaut. Yeah, I, I would guess that you have to be okay with being a little bit a little bit frightened and taking risks right. and, and feeling confident that you can get through it. What is the longest time? What's the longest period of time you've been in space? At, at like at one stretch? My, my first space flight was two weeks. And then my last space flight was 200 days. So, uh, you know, over six months was my longest mission. Wow. That's incredible. And what happens when you come back to Earth after spending six months in your body getting used to being in space? What happens to your body when you get back to Earth? That is a really... President Obama asked me that question. We visited him at the White House uh, after my first flight. Yeah, we were just like totally as smart as each other, me and President <laughs> Obama. <laughs> you know, I was so... I'm a sports guy and I was. I like to play basketball. I was playing basketball with my son and like... I couldn't even get the basketball to the rim. I felt so heavy. It was just like, oh, I was so heavy. And I was like, oh, and the ball wouldn't even get to the rim. And I forgot to tell him that story because he's into basketball too. And I'm still mad. So the next time I see him, I'm going to say, hey, I forgot to tell you this funny story. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even shoot a basketball up to the rim. So you feel heavy and you feel dizzy. Um, Just really like, 
the world was spinning. Um, but my body recovered really quickly. For some reason, I was, it's like I was made to fly in space. You are a commander of a space station. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a commander of a space station? Um, so it basically means like if there's an emergency or some, something goes bad, I would have been the person in charge. Um, it's kind of like being the captain of an airliner. You know, when I talk about leadership, um, most people are going to be followers a lot more than they're going to be leaders. So the first thing you got to do is learn how to be a good follower yeah. um, before you can be a leader. And then when you're a leader, you have to understand who your audience is. So like if the people you're leading are young, they don't have any experience, they don't know what they're doing, you need to tell them what to do. But then when you have a team where the people know what they're doing and they're experienced, then you need to let them run things and stay out of their hair. So your leadership needs to change based on the team that you're leading. Absolutely. That's a, that's such a, that's such good insight for leading anything. Right. It's so great to have you with us. Now we have a few questions sent in by our tenors. Hello, my name is Selena. I'm six years old. I'm from San Francisco. My question is, why do astronauts have to use special rockets instead of airplanes? <laughs> That's a really good question. So when you go into space, um, you either go into orbit, which is just flying around the Earth, or you, you go even faster and you leave Earth and you want to go to the moon or Mars, you have to go to what's called escape velocity. So to go into orbital velocity on Earth, or in we call it low Earth orbit, just a few hundred miles from Earth, um, the speed is about 17,500 miles per hour. So that's pretty fast. And so if you tried to fly at that speed, you would just melt eventually. So you need a special rocket to get you above the air Hi, my name is Ryden, and I live in San Francisco, California. And my question for you guys is, how do astronauts entertain themselves? Well, so for me, I was mostly busy like every minute for six months. I had a lot of work to do. But one of the things that I did, like in the evenings after dinner, I was a photography guy. They, they tell me I took the most ever pictures in space. I like baseball, so I watched a lot of baseball. Or I listen to a show called Car Talk. It is the funniest radio show of all time. Hi, I'm Alex. I have a question for the astronaut. What do you feel like when you take off? So the first thing you feel is that you hear the engines and they are loud. It's a roar like nothing I've ever heard. Um, and then when the rocket lifts off the launch pad, you're accelerating. So it's kind of like being in a car when you, slept up, when, you, uh, when you slam on the gas and you're just smashed back. Um, only the space shuttle and the Soyuz got up to three G's. So three times your body weight. So that's kind of like laying on the ground and having three of your best friends lay on top of you, just smashing you down. It's hard to breathe. You have to push out your chest in order to let the oxygen in. Um, and so, uh, you feel acceleration, you hear this amazing noise and the shuttle has solid rocket motors. So it's like somebody grabbing you and just shaking you. So. You know, the sound, the acceleration, the vibration is pretty amazing. Hi, I'm Lulu. I'm nine years old. Have you been to the planet Mars? I have not. In fact, no human ever has, but we have sent 
drones there, which is pretty cool. These rovers and NASA just today, the day we're recording this, um, flew the first ever helicopter. So it's the first ever airplane on another planet, which is so cool. So the last time humans went to the moon was in 1972. It's almost 50 years ago. Um, so no one's been back. Hopefully NASA is going to send astronauts there in the next few years, but we'll see. And then um, nobody's ever been to Mars. So hopefully someday the kids listening to this might be the first ones to go there. Hi, I'm Rose and I'm seven years old. What is the coolest thing you've seen in space? Our planet. Um, I saw so much, you know, the galaxy is so cool. Um, but just seeing Earth and there's so many things about it. The problem with being an astronaut is your bucket list gets too long. And so seeing the sunrise and sunsets, seeing the moonrise and moonsets, seeing the Bahamas and the snow of Russia and Canada and the mountains of the Alps and the Himalayas and the Rockies and um, the deserts are really cool. Saudi, Namibia, um, the Sahara deserts are massive. These beige pink things. Um, actually in Algeria, it's kind of orange and black. It's really cool. So anyway, there's just, there's so many things I could talk for hours. Hello, my name is Charlotte and I'm 10 years old. I wanted to ask you what going up to space is like during COVID. You know, the funny thing about that, I actually, I wrote a short book last year about how being in space was similar to being stuck on earth in COVID. Because when I was there, we had three cargo ships back to back to back blew up. And so the station was all of a sudden low on supplies. And when the second one blew up, it was a Russian progress. Um, they delayed our replacement crew because they didn't want to launch the rocket until they knew what the problem was and were sure it was safe. So they didn't want to send us back to earth until the replacement crew got there. So they basically said, you're stuck in space until we can launch the replacement crew. So we were stuck in the space station. We didn't know how long it was going to last. We were low on supplies. And there was just a lot of uh, similarities between being stuck in space and being stuck down here in COVID. Um, uh, so my advice was give yourself a schedule, be sure you're getting physical exercise, um, keep a good attitude. You know, this is not going to last forever. Talia wants to know, what's it like to be in space? Is it fun? Is it not fun? Can you touch the stars? Well, Talia, you can't touch if you you could touch the stars once, but then you would melt and die. So th those things are pretty hot. So you don't want to you can do anything once, but that doesn't mean you should do anything once. Um, but in being in space is really cool. Floating is just awesome. You feel like Superman um, looking at our planet, looking at the stars is awesome. Um, but honestly, most of what you're doing is work. I mean, I, you know, being in space is 99% work and 1% seeing the universe. Um, and so, but that's okay. It was worth it just to, I, I was willing to do the work just to get that view for sure. Um, so being in space is 99% work and 1% fun, but it, when you get the fun, it's really, really fun. Hi, I'm Sela and I'm 11 years old. And I want to ask you, what do you eat for dessert in space if you do it all? I'm a, I'm a big dessert guy. I was there with my crewmate, Scott Kelly, and he and I both like chocolate. So they would send me up, like I had a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups and they had M&Ms. They give you these bags of food and they're supposed to last like two weeks. Um, and the dessert bag of food, it's, it's like a backpack. Um, normally it has brownies and chocolate pudding and 
and blueberry cake. It has different types of desserts. But this one, for some reason, only had one chocolate item. It was a, it was a Little Debbie's brownie. And Scott and I were looking at each other. And so we cut it in half. And there's a picture of us. We're both very sad astronauts because we only have this half of a brownie <laughs> for two weeks. It was, it was really funny. Hi, my name is Jami. I'm eight years old. And I want to know what it looks like looking down at Earth from space. Thanks. Well, it is amazing. And that, like I was talking about earlier, there's just so many different things to see. Um, so really, every time you look at Earth, it's a different thing. You know, mountains or oceans or snow or ice um, or nighttime. At nighttime, uh, the thunderstorms are amazing. You see these lightning, especially over Africa and South America and the South Pacific, these tropical places. There's always lots of thunderstorms and they're amazing. This is from a parent. Kelly wants to know, <laughs> how do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> from a parent, not from the kid. The kids, Not from a kid. <laughs> yeah. Look, every human needs to know. So the answer is very carefully because um, <laughs> you don't want to be the person to make a mess. And the other, the real bottom line is it's, uh, it's, it's airflow. So on earth you have gravity. Gravity makes everything go in the right direction. Um, in space, yeah, you, you, you need airflow. So they have these vacuums, they have a hose for number one, um, and then a, basically a can for number two. And so you go and the hose sucks everything away um, and you wipe it up and you're done. Or when you go in the can, you just close it up when you're done and, and then it stays there and, they, and then it comes back to earth and burns up in one of these cargo ships you know, every few months, one comes back to Earth. And so if you ever see like a progress or a, a ISS cargo vehicle coming back to Earth, we call it deorbiting. And you see a big streak across the, the, it looks like a shooting star. You'll know what that streak is made out of. It is a poop streak. It, it's a, a poop, a poop tail. A shooting poop star. Shooting poop star. <laughs> and the <laughs> for number one, for the urine, we actually recycle that. Wow, thank you so, so, so much for doing this with us. It's so exciting to have you with us. And um, yeah, I guess there's so much to check out. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. This was really cool. Hope the kids enjoy it. All right, Terry Verts is so cool. I'm glad I made it back in time to hear that interview. Do you have anything about the James Webb Telescope? Actually, Owen one of our OG tenors, and my son, has some facts about it. Check this out. Launch sequence activated. I'm reporting in from space with five facts about the James Webb Telescope. And it's really hard to breathe. Number one, the telescope took 30 years to build and cost $10 billion. Wow, that's a lot of moolah. Number two, the James Webb is replacing the Hubble telescope that launched in 1990. It is a hundred, let me say that again, a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble. No way! Number three, to get into the position, the huge telescope had to fold up like an origami to fit inside a rocket ship and was blasted into space. It'd be pretty weird if humans could do that. Just fold up whatever you want. Ah! 
Number four, the telescope is now in the process of unfolding. Yay! And setting itself up for taking pictures of the universe. Each step is a really big deal and there are 344 of them until it is ready. That's more than I can count on my fingers. One, two, oh, oh, mother. Number five, the James Webb has really good eyesight. The telescope is capable of seeing infrared images much more than the Hubble telescope. This means that we'll be able to see stars and planets hiding behind space dust that we couldn't see before. Hello there. That's like if someone with bad eyesight put on glasses. And I hope they're stylish. Okay, Owen is so cool. Wait, didn't NASA just release new photos from the James Webb Telescope? Yeah, you can either Google it and see them, or you can check out NASA's Twitter and Instagram accounts, at NASA Webb. The pictures are amazing. You can see ancient galaxies and fledging stars within cumulus clouds of interstellar dust. There's more details than we've ever seen, and it's glorious. I definitely will check it out. Wait, that's the Griffith Park Observatory. We're here. I gotta pee again. Remember to do an outro. Right. But first, here's a quick note for the grown-ups. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages. Teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. This has been a 10 News Road Trip Remix. Technically, we're off for the summer, but look out for our road trip remixes and re-airings of some of our favorite episodes all summer long. I'm Ryan Willard, and thanks for listening to The 10 News. We hope you're having a great summer and staying cool, kind, and informed. Hi, 
friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, We look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. 